Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Agile Blue is a 24 by 7 SOC, XDR, and SOAR providing managed breach protection, including monitoring, detection, and automated response to cloud networks and endpoints, helping MSP build their cyber business while increasing gross margins, ARR, and stickiness. Agile Blue's partner program engages, enables, supports, and rewards your business growth with a white-labeled security dashboard, pooled pricing, marketing collateral, and purpose-driven sales content. A 24 by 7 extension of your team. Learn more at agileblue.com. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. This is Carl. I'm joined today once again by my good friend, Gil Cargill from Cargill Consulting. And welcome, sir. How are you today? I'm excellent, thank you. How's things going up there? Very good. Spring has sprung. So that's that's all the good news for us. So uh, why don't you give folks your website? Just we'll get that out of the way now, and then I'll try to remember to repeat it later. It's www.gilcargill.com. That's G-I-L-C-A-R-G-I-L-L.com. Very good. So Cargill Consulting, and today we're going to talk about sales process management. Um, I I know what each of those words means separate from each other. (laughs) What does it mean when you put them together? What is sales process management? Well, I I think it's the missing link for profitability or uh, better said for consistent profitability uh, in the MSP community. Sales process management is uh, based on establishing metrics, KPIs, for the team, and then uh, measuring those KPIs and projecting to the end of the year. Uh, So essentially, you have a mathematic correlation between today's activities and tomorrow's results. For instance, if you have no first meetings with no new prospects, the only way you'll get a new order is by luck or uh, some other Uh, phenomenon liking to voodoo. On the other hand, if you know that X number of first meetings convert into Y number of new contracts over Z periods of time, then you have the ability to project what your year end will look like. So when I coach companies, I essentially and frequently say, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, how will you be at the end of the year? What will you look like at the end of the year? Now, if you can't answer that, then you have no process to manage against. That forces the owners and the sales managers of MSP companies to become what I refer to in a derogatory sense, a cheerleader. Now, a sales management cheerleader says things like, hey, Carl, we got to sell smarter. Or, hey, Carl, we got to sell harder. Now, I hate both of those statements because the first one infers that you've been selling stupidly. Right, right. (laughs) And I don't know how to impress another adult by saying, well, what you were doing was stupid, but now you have to become unstupid. Right. And and the second one is that you haven't been working very hard. Yeah, you've been a a bum. Your golf game looks great, but your quota production is low. So without sales process management, uh, the owners of a company 
really can't control their future. They are controlled by the volume of business, the renewals of contracts, and whether or not their customers will come through. Sales process management speaks to the fact that you haven't optimized your top and bottom line until you are competing for all of the desirable decisions in the geography in which you want to, to contest. So for instance, if you were here in LA County and you were an MSP, and if you had five prospective deals pending, you might feel pretty good about that. But in LA County, how many companies are reviewing getting cybersecurity or getting a relationship with a new MSP or protecting themselves against ransomware? Sales process management lets you know that you are contesting for X percent of the desirable or demographically desirable decisions. When I coach a company, I work with the management to try and get them to the point of having 100% uh, visibility in 100% of the demographically desirable decisions. And that can be done, but it's seldom done because most MSPs compete for a very small subset of the entire market. So if you're only contesting five opportunities, even if you're perfect, you'll get five contracts. Right. And no perfect. If you're doing that in a market that has, and I'm just making up a number, 300 decisions occurring, and you're contesting five of them, then by definition, you're underperforming. And sales process management would at bare minimum let you know, oh, there's 300 decisions occurring, and you're only contesting five of them. Right. Uh, most of so, the well, so question about the KPI. So first meetings is a, uh, uh, a lagging indicator, right? I, I can look and say, for a fact, this is how many I had. And new, new contracts is a lagging indicator. I can say exactly how many I had. Uh, mm -hmm. But the time, when I look forward, uh, I have to extrapolate those into um, leading indicators. So, so what, what do we measure going forward? Do we just calculate first meetings and how long it took? Like, how do I, how do I know what the rest of the year is going to look like? Uh, very good question. Uh, the, the initial pass on KPIs has to be a little bit of Kentucky windage and guesstimates, if you will. But for instance, if you're going through your calendar, it looks like you've had two first meetings a week and you, your mathematic projection for business at the end of the year is uh, $100,000, then we could say if we went to four first meetings a week, the probability is your year-end revenue would be closer to 200,000. Uh, it's not precise, but it gets precise over time. The KPIs that I like to, and I'm in violent agreement with you, we have to have leading indicators, not lagging. Uh, when I'm flying my plane, I don't care about the mountains in back of me. I care <laughs> about the mountains in front of me. That's a good point. <laughs> the, the ones in back of me, are lagging indicators. So uh, the leading indicators that I recommend are the number of first meetings. And management has to dictate that. Uh, you can't let your team say, oh, well, I'm going to make some first meetings next week. I like to say your goal is five first meetings a week. I define a first meeting 
as a phone call, a Zoom meeting, or face-to-face -face with someone who can make a decision or can influence the decision. So now we're starting to track down a path. The uh, next uh, KPI that I like to uh, refer to is the number of transactions added to the funnel and the number of dollars that those transactions represent. So we're going to ascribe activity targets or objectives. And do you, um, do you use the, the system that I see because it's kind of built into many CRMs where I say, well, I've got a, a transaction in the funnel uh, that's worth 100,000. And I think there's a probability of whatever, 20% that I'll get that. And then I got another one that's 50,000 and there's a probability of 20% I'll get that. And I, and I calculate that out and I come up with a number. Do you think that number has meaning? When no. I, and, and why is that? Because it's, uh, uh, I was gonna say, it drug-induced strategy, smoking hope and having hope. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, excuse my irreverence. But uh, the reason it doesn't have validity is many of those numbers are derived by just the machine making a calculation. And I don't know how to get 20% of a contract. You either get the contract or you don't. And if you're so out of control as a sales professional that you can't predict with some degree of accuracy whether or not you're going to get a deal, then you're not selling, you're bidding and praying. And that has sufficed for a lot of MSPs. But as we come into this new economy, uh, the old school of bidding and praying and uh, hoping that people will buy from you just isn't going to work. Uh, and and I, what, what is the new economy? Like, what, what you mean post-pandemic or cloud-based or? The new pandemic from a sales point of view is customers are a lot harder to get on the phone or on Zoom or face-to-face -face than they ever were before. Uh, many of them are working from home and the only phone number that they respond to is their cell phone and it's not published anywhere. Uh, that's part of the problem. Uh, the new economy mandates that the MSP market more aggressively and more pervasively than ever before. Uh, you know, back in our day, uh, you know, you didn't need marketing. You could just pick up the phone. And, you know, when I sold for IBM, uh, my Monday mornings were dialing for dollars, my nickname for it. I'd make 100 phone calls and I'd book my calendar for the following week. And I just did that consistently. If you make 100 phone calls today, you'll talk to voicemail 100 times and right. make more progress. So I love the distinction between marketing and sales because I have long believed in our industry, people buy marketing and tell themselves that it's sales. And right. then, so they spend $1,500 on marketing and, and they don't have any new clients. And it's because they didn't ask anybody for their money, right. you know, and, and I think it's, it's absolutely essential that people get that you have to do marketing, but then you also have to do sales and you, you can't just do marketing and then not follow up, not try to get somebody to call you, try to get somebody to fill out a form, you know, request the meeting, whatever. Uh, and that's, that, that line, you have to know where the line is between marketing and sales. And most people don't make a distinction. I saw a study not too long ago, and I can't recall exactly where, but it 
was done by, I think the Sales Lead Management Association. I could be dead wrong in that, but it showed that 94% of the leads generated by marketing were not followed up on by the salespeople appropriately. The vast majority of salespeople abandoned the lead after one attempt. 90% were uh, abandoned before the fourth attempt. And part of the new economy is that we need to touch a prospect 12 to 18 times today uh, to get them to say, ah, I get it. I understand why I should do business with you. Now, those touches can be brochures or emails or articles or Zoom meetings or webinars or you know luncheons. It doesn't matter, but you have to just stay in touch with that customer so many more times than you did in the past because they are um, uh, so inundated with pressure to do their job and they're not in the office. So that's a huge component of the new economy. Now, the so, vast, so is the seven touch wisdom a thing in the past then? It's going away, yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm in, encouraging my clients to touch them at least 12 times a year, at least monthly. Um, and there's an example of uh, two MSPs that I've known for decades, literally. I met them back in the uh, desktop PC dealership days. So uh, that hard drive you have in the back reminded me a little bit of those days. And one of them had a million dollar uh, or uh, month a few months ago. His average month is about half a million bucks. The, the other one is hoping to get to half a million this year. And the difference is the uh, very successful MSP has been focusing on marketing and building the business. The less successful MSP has been out making sales calls, technical calls, fixing things, ordering things, the traditional laundry list of activities that an MSP goes through. So um, it's unfortunate that we have not been able to get the marketing message in place. But if your marketing is aggressive and robust, and if you'll have a KPI for follow-up, like in, in my world, every lead is accounted for every week until they buy or die. And, and I've always loved that phrase. So, you know, it's funny, The um, I was talking this morning to one of our friends, Dave Seibert, uh, oh, who was saying, uh, we were talking about how, you know, people do business, people that they know, like, and trust. But mm -hmm. if they don't know you, they can't like you. I thought right. that was a <laughs> very wise observation that, you know, you have to soften people up for a long, long time. And, right. and then you become just another acquaintance. And so then when you ask for something, they're actually going to listen. Um, yeah. and, and it's not that these are your best friends necessarily, but people have to feel like they know you so that they can like you, so that they can trust you. And, you know, it, you got to build it. You know, it does, it's not going to come into existence overnight. The data, the data shows that uh, on our first contact, whether it be email, brochure, billboard, it doesn't matter. On our first contact, you've obtained top of mind awareness for a very brief period of time. Oh yeah, I know about this MSP. But unless we re may proactively reinforce our core messages, the, we won't maintain top of mind awareness. So I can't like you if I don't know you. I agree with that. But there's no way I can trust you even if I've just met you and I like you.
you have to earn my trust. And you do that by investing your effort, your knowledge in me. And then when I recognize a need, let's say for ransomware protection or whatever, I'll say, I need to call that guy that uh, I've been talking to. And I've seen that happen hundreds of times, but you have to stay in touch. And most of us don't follow through on that. And it's tragic because every CRM on the market today has automated uh, closed loop marketing capability, drip marketing, whatever you want to call it. So, so do you recommend everybody have a newsletter and that that's at least that that's your monthly touch or that's one of your monthly touches? A newsletter, an uh, e-newsletter, uh, you know, an e-book, uh, a white paper. Uh, Harvard actually did a study um, as a result of Joe Girard's book, which was uh, printed in the 60s called How to Sell Anything to Anybody. And I, can, I attribute him to be the grandfather of drip marketing. And he uh, uh, has the Guinness Book of World Records for the number of new cars sold in one year from a car dealership. And he averaged eight cars closed per day for 365 consecutive. Wow. <laughs> and his secret, yeah, his secret sauce was he sent postcards to everybody that uh, de de declined the opportunity to buy a new car from him. So if you went to the dealership shopping for, and he was selling Chevy, so we're not talking exotic cars. If you went in there and you said, not now, maybe next year or later, he'd thank you for coming in and send you a postcard every month. Now, that whole process has been automated. Right. All, the, all an MSP needs to do is write a message, and that will maintain top of mind awareness. The Harvard study said that if you touch them 12 times a year, you're guaranteed to maintain top of mind awareness, which means that when they recognize they need what you offer, they'll call you. If you allow them to forget about you, which the, we humans forget about information we don't use very quickly, especially as we age. <laughs> so um, the uh, customers are losing uh, top of mind awareness with a half-life of 40 days. So basically six months after that first contact, if you haven't followed up, they go, yeah, we need some cybersecurity. Who should we go to? And they go to Google. Right. They start over. So yeah, it's interesting. So I send out a newsletter, as you know, uh, once a week. And uh, I have people that I have engaged with who say, hey, you know, I've been following you for years and I want to do something and da, 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 da. And then in talking to them, I find out they haven't actually opened a newsletter in a year, but right. they see it every week. And they, they know that they don't want to get off my list, but for whatever reason, they see them and, and they move it to the deleted items folder, but they feel like they have some kind of connection with me. And so uh, it, it's interesting how easy it is to be top of mind uh, by just being consistent and, and I would say persistent. A uh, question about the process. So when you talk about the process management, and you know, I'm a process guy, uh, are you talking about the process of moving from marketing to sales or the process of managing salespeople who may or may not be doing everything they need to do, you know, uh, to, to follow through getting the sales or getting the meetings and getting the, the proposals out and all of that, which is this process, everything? Process is everything. So, you know, it, it's how a business grows its top and bottom line. 
you know, I, as you know, most of the work I've done for the past 40 some years has been on handling the process after a lead is generated in an ideal environment by someone other than the salesperson. Now, process management, uh, as I'm practicing it today, incorporates KPIs for everybody. How many leads should the marketing department generate versus the budget that we're going to allocate to marketing? Uh, once those leads are generated, how are they allocated to the sales team? Now, the uh, beauty of process management is I can hold salespeople accountable for the WORK that goes into producing dollars. Most MSPs manage their marketing and sales based on the, the revenue coming in the door, but revenue is a lagging indicator uh, in many cases, months and months after you've invested money. So that can throw your P&L upside down. Uh, if on the other hand, you're saying, in order to get your salary paycheck, you must do these activities in this sequence and in this volume and in this quality, or we'll have a, a conversation regarding your continued employment. <laughs> And, well, you know, one of my uh, absolutely unbreakable rules of service delivery is you can't control people, but you can control your process. Big time. Yeah. So, so how, how do you, how does Cargill Consulting, like how do you help people create a sales process? Do you have like a template that you say here, here's how you implement this. The service manager does this. The sales manager does this. The marketing manager does this. And for some people, those are all the same person, but you know, the, the roles have to, to execute these things in order to be successful. Well, it, it's a planning process, but uh, uh, I do work from some templates. And the key is we have to define what each role on the perfect work chart looks like. So defining the company as you would like it to be is part of the success of a, a good entrepreneur. And I believe this is the necessity to create a company that creates wealth for the owner, regardless of the amount of hours he or she works per week. So the owners of MSPs, more often than not, don't have a business, they have a job. And I, I define it as a job. If were you to go away for six months, you'd come back to bankruptcy, then you have a job. If you have a business, when you go away for six months and you come back, uh, you should have an increase in your uh, net worth and the, your bank account should be higher than it was before you left. Uh, that's a business, but that's where many entrepreneurs want to get to, but they seem to be unwilling to do the work to build these KPIs and hold people accountable. You know, the, the worst salespeople in the world are very good at selling their boss on why they're failing. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I have spent, and this is no exaggeration, hundreds of thousands of dollars on salespeople who did not sell. Right. And, and I should have spent probably 10% of that. And it's 100% my fault for not managing them. Because if there's one thing I don't want to do in the entire universe, it's manage salespeople. That's a very common trait. That's why I've built a pretty good business in the past 43 years. But uh, at the end of the day, the KPIs help you manage them. Because if, you know, I'll, I'll make it uh, simple. If one KPI is 
let's say five first meetings a week, one per day, and the sales rep is averaging two per week. He's underperforming and he's violating the employment agreement that I like to structure with my clients' employees. So the until you can control the quantity and quality of work that produces orders and know the real, uh, mathematic ratios between those, all you can do as a business owner is react. Oh, wow, we had a great month. Let's go have beer. Oh, we had a horrible month. Let me go borrow some money to make payroll. So right. those, those go back and well, forth. And I say it's completely my fault because I was unwilling to fire people who did not perform, right? And that, and I think that's very common in small business. Uh, you know that that the first month, well, the the leads are no good. The second month, we don't have a process. And the third month, uh, the offer isn't any good. And you know, <laughs> and then we we spend a month having the salesperson redo the ads and the marketing and the and the uh, business cards, none of which gets proposals very common and you know, that's why i'm such a maniac about kpis if you you see if i manage if i hired people with your technology and your skill i couldn't tell if they were doing a good job or a bad job until it was over you could over look over the shoulder of a technician and say this guy doesn't know what he's doing right. but i can't and but if i'm looking over the shoulder of a sales rep I can tell you in a heartbeat whether or not the person knows what they're doing. And uh, that's why I've developed this sales process management mentality and, and process because MSPs have not had the experience I've had. You know, I started with IBM in 1970. My first year with them, I spent 18 weeks in sales training, not product training, how to give presentations, how to write proposals how to cost justify our solutions. This is back in 1970. Uh, today's sales rep, some studies I've seen, the average MSP employee sales rep spends about 11 days in their career in sales training. And more often than not, that's product-led training that says our, our hard drive is better than their hard drive, and here's why. Right. And it doesn't talk to the core issues of selling. So the MSP hires someone that claims to be a sales rep, the MSP doesn't know if they are or they're not until the PL says, I'm wasting a lot of money and all I get every month are, you know, trust me, coach, next month will be great. Trust me, coach, next month will be great. All I'm saying is, that's wonderful. How many first meetings did you have this month? How right. many dollars did you add to the funnel this month? Those are leading indicators. So in my, in my world, there's no valid excuse except for health or family issues that prevents you from hitting a target of first meetings. That's just work. You can't say the market's bad. You can't say the competition's better. It's just you didn't make enough phone calls. You didn't send out enough postcards. You didn't invite enough people to the webinar. You failed to hit that portion of your job. And the, if you, uh, and now as a uh, coach, I can coach that man or woman to improve. Without having KPIs, I can't coach anybody. All I can say is go get them, Bubba. Or <laughs> Bubba. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned uh, as kind of lead gen uh, white papers or toolkits or, or whatever. If I go to gilcargill.com, can I, can I send you a message or is there some 
something I can sign up for that will kind of get me started without spending a bunch of money? Spending money, it, I consider it an investment in your family's future. You do want your children to go to a good school, don't you? <laughs> No, I, I, I do. I do. So, so before yeah. I invest the money, is there a, a free report or something that I can get? You can get my sales manager's toolkit. Uh, just go to my website and send me a note and say, you'd like my, uh, the manager's toolkit and I'll send it to you. It's got about 150 uh, pages of templates, tools, guides, a couple of manuals that you, uh, with it and a little bit of coaching, you can turn it into a process managed sales force. Very good. Uh, so, and then if folks want to engage with you, I'm assuming uh, there's information at guildcargill.com, but um, are these programs where you just do a one-time training or you do, you do ongoing consulting? Do you do a six month deal or a month to month? What, how, do, how are you structured? Well, I always work month to month. And I work, I prefer to work as a coach as opposed to a consultant uh, because I want the owner to get the skills that I have so that he or she can grow long after I'm, I'm, I leave them. Uh, I work on a satisfaction guaranteed basis. And uh, before I do anything, I will run a profit acceleration assessment with the owner of the company so that he or she and I can mutually agree on the potential short-term and long-term for incremental profit. And what this does is it benchmarks their business against 40 metrics that uh, are going to then compare them and we'll move the numbers around. Do you think you could get 3% more here? Could you cut costs 2% there? And it creates a projected P&L that uh, then becomes the target that we work towards. Very nice. All right, Gil Cargill from Cargill Consulting. Thank you very much for joining us once again. I always enjoy talking to you. And I think this may be the first podcast ever where the word Cleveland was not mentioned. I did say Ohio. <laughs> this close. You were this close. All righty. Thank you, sir. Uh, and with luck, folks will get in touch with you. And I will see you again on another uh, SMB Community Podcast. Next time you head down here, holler. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.